Welcome to episode 28 of 1530. Now introducing your hosts, Ben and Matt. Today, as promised, we're going to be going back, way back, do some throwback matches for you. But before we get into that, we have a stat of the day, as normal. So our stat of the day is 4%, and it's 4% better is the number. So Djokovic, Federer, and Rafael Nadal, obviously uh, three of the best players who have played, leading in majors, and that sort of thing. But right now, if you go back and you look at their, their career statistics, they've all won 4% more matches in majors over their career. That was interesting that it actually ended up being the same number. Rafa was actually 4.4%. Better and it was, it was exactly 4% for Federer and Djokovic. So it's amazing how good these guys are always in any tournament, but how they actually raise their raise their game in the majors. Think about maybe a Federer at Wimbledon or or Nadal, especially at the French Open. And so it's but it's just amazing that even though they go about their craft so differently, you know, they're all champions. And the statistic happened to be the same, which is interesting. Murray, interestingly, I looked at his, it was 3.4%, so good, but just not quite as good as Federer, Don Djokovic. I was kind of thinking about why is this. Um, a couple things I was thinking, you know, there are bigger draws in the slam, so you kind of face easier players early on. You're not going to play someone seated, assuming you're seated early on. While, while in a Masters 1000, you could, you could see someone in the second or third round potentially that's pretty good and get knocked out. So, but I think I do think there's also something to playing better in majors. Uh, I looked up Stan Wawrinka, didn't know what his number would be. His number uh, was nine percent better, so actually quite a bit better than than uh, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. Now, of course, some Masters 1000s he kind of can flame out early, but to me, it just shows again he's a big match player for the majors. He really does show up. A lot of times he beats beats players that he really has no business beating. Like a few times he's beaten Djokovic, um, Federer, Roland Garros, etc. Uh, Zverev, right? Alexander Zverev is one that we talked about being not very good in majors. So if you want to take a guess, he he actually is better, but not very much better. It's uh, only a half percent better in majors, which considering his favorable draws being a, a seated player, that's uh, not too good. So hopefully he can improve on that. Um, <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. One surprising one was Tsitsipas. He, I just kind of looked at some random sampling of players. He's actually 6% worse at the majors. Hmm. So maybe Zverev gets a little bit too bad of a rap. Uh, Tsitsipas, I guess, should be doing a lot better. Or maybe on the flip side, I was thinking about maybe he's just really good at um, best of three format, and he did win the ATP Masters one thousand or the ATP World Tour Finals. So maybe he's kind of exceeded his potential in those and is underperforming or in the majors. So I thought that was interesting, but maybe Zverev shouldn't get such a bad rap with people <laughs> like Tsitsipas. Should be going further than the majors according to this. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I thought I think, that was kind of weird. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I think you have to take into consideration consideration the extra set they have to win as well, right? Maybe you mentioned this, but I mean, it it reduces the the variability, right? You have to have a little bit more mm -hmm. skill, not as much uh, luck, just to get two sets out of three out of uh, off of a uh, off of one of the bigs. You have to get three, and, and they have a way of just really settling in there and making you eventually miss. So. I think that probably plays a role in it too. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Right, um, it's it's easier to to maybe redline play a play a really good set of tennis or two really good sets of tennis. You think about it, you can you can get a tie break off maybe one of these guys, but in order to get three three sets, right, like Shane best of five, you have to be playing, you have to be the better player on the day, and not all it's just not always the case for best of three. I'm thinking about 
uh, Federer and maybe uh, like Kyrgios when they've played a couple matches where they, they all of them go to tie breaks. Kyrgios won one in uh, Madrid, Spain on clay, and that was the first time they played. All of them were tie breaks. Uh, Kyrgios eked that one out. Federer did the same for turning the favor in Miami, I think, uh, a couple years later. But same thing, like it's, there are tie breaks. I mean, anyone could have won those. But if you go down to best of five, maybe one of those sets isn't a tiebreak. I don't know. So, so, yeah, very interesting, like you're saying, on the margin there. So, transitioning, I, I first got into this looking at this number because I was looking at Bjorn Borg's numbers, um, kind of throwback. It was interesting. It, it seemed like he just didn't have the same, especially second serve return points. They were extremely low, or second serve serve points for winning them. They were really low. I think what ended up happening though is just the ultimate tennis stats.com doesn't go back beyond, I think it's like 1992. So we were missing some of Borg's prime years, but either way I was like, man, does Borg just not do as well in the, in the smaller tournaments? And does he just do really well in the majors? So he's actually 7% better in majors. So better than the, better than the big three. Um, not as good as stand the man. Interesting, but Thought that was interesting for Bjorn Borg. So kind of transitioning there, want to talk about Bjorn Borg. You guys probably, tennis fans, know, at least know the name. Um, see him maybe participating in Labor Cup. But you probably know he's won Wimbledon five times in a row. So Federer ended up matching that feat. We'll also kind of go into that match. But pretty amazing. He, Him and uh, John McEnroe, among other players, he had a big rivalry with. He was, he was also a player, though, that won Roland Garros six times. So pretty unique. Uh, style of play back in the day. This was a time where serving volley ruled king, but Bjorn Borg had, had amazing ground strokes. He was able to utilize topspin, and so he made, primarily played from the baseline, and so kind of a unique player in his day. But winning Wimbledon and Roland Garros back-to-back, especially back then when the surfaces were even more different, it's really tough to do. And you don't have much time now. I guess we have a few more weeks. There's a little bit of more of a grass season, but only only three players have ever done that. That's Bjorn Borg, right? He's done it several times. Nadal and Federer are the only other players that have done it to win Wimbledon and Roland Garros in the same year, the Wimbledon Roland Garros double. So Bjorn Borg's an amazing player. Obviously, he kind of retired early. If I highly recommend watching the board McEnroe, uh, Borg versus McEnroe movie. I thought that was a pretty good movie showing, you know, the intensity of the sport and how much pressure he was under as world number one. Once once he kind of lost that world number one, and right, he won five Wimbledons in a row. Uh John McEnroe kind of ended that streak for him. He just decided to to kind of give up on the sport, but still an amazing talent. So the match I want to cover and talk about in a classic match is the match right before that year. So this was 1980 Wimbledon final. So this is one spoiler alert. This is one where where Bjorn Borg ended up winning, but it was a five setter. It was a classic. McEnroe was the the brash New Yorker, right? You know, a little bit of a a tough talker, you know, trash talker. And he was the net rusher, really good at net, really good serve. And of course the graceful baseliner kind of Bjorn Borg, maybe almost Federer like in his day. And this was one where he was going for his fifth consecutive Wimbledon. So this is a fifth setter, pretty much an instant classic. And then of course the next year McEnroe gets revenge and wins in four sets at Wimbledon and ends Bjorn Borg's five-year reign. Again, bringing back memories, at least for me of watching Nadal and Federer's five-year reign in a row at Wimbledon. Um, that was actually a match just for the viewers out there, you know, dating my tennis viewing. That's the very first tennis match I ever turned on the TV. I turned it on. It was in the fourth set somewhere, and I watched the fourth and fifth set. And this is when I was like, oh, tennis is a pretty interesting sport, and I kind of felt bad for Federer losing, and, you know, the rest is history. But that's pretty awesome match to be watching. So I kind of want to talk about those couple of Wimbledon matches. But um, 
you know, tennis history decided at Wimbledon. But Matt, any any thoughts on those uh, those great matches before we get into the numbers? Uh, nothing specific. Maybe just it's interesting to see you can. I don't know. There are just specific matches that kind of stick out and kind of form the the culture of tennis, the history of tennis. And I think these are some of those big ones that kind of shake the tennis world and kind of leaks out over into even, you know, the world of people who don't follow tennis. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. These are those matches that can bring it into view for a lot of people who normally wouldn't even pay attention to it. Good for yeah. the sport. Yeah. And going to that point, uh, I think this was the first, one of the first years or first time in a long time where, where tennis was actually on the sports illustrated, I believe it was sports illustrated. Uh, one of the big sports magazines, Nadal actually made it on the cover. Uh, when he stopped Federer's reign, right? I mean, five years in a row of Federer being the king at Wimbledon, Nadal winning it for the first time, being the world number one for the first time. So like I said, people who hadn't even followed tennis really were paying attention to this Nadal guy and maybe seeing, wondering if Federer's reign was over forever. And yeah, I think very similar thing happened changing of the guard with with Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe. So like you're saying, tennis history, it's pretty pretty amazing thing. But let's, uh, let's go into the numbers here. So this match really, I guess just to summarize, just really was a teeter-totter back and forth. Um, each set was, um, you know, had a lot of a lot of variances. I mean, Borg came out uh, a little bit flat, and McEnroe was playing really good tennis. He actually won the first set 6-1, so a lot of people wondering, well, Borg, is he going to be able to overcome the pressure? Is he going to be able to repeat as champion <clears throat> for the fifth time? So really the numbers that stood out to me in that set where Bjorn Borg had uh, 9% double faults, which... If you look at the rest of the sets, um, the highest he had was was five percent. It looks like, or zero percent, or two percent. So, nine percent is quite a bit of double fault. So he was getting a little nervous there. Um, both guys did serve fantastic over the match, and then his second serve points won were only forty four percent. So that's pretty paltry, um, especially because later in the fifth set, give it away another spoiler. Bjorn Borg ended up with ninety percent second serve points won. So came out a little shaky at the start. I think a lot of double faults. And then when he'd hit the second serve in, uh, McEnroe was able to attack. So that was the biggest thing. And McEnroe played played obviously solid, won the set fairly easily, 6-1. In the second set, you had a little bit of a reversal here. So this one went 7-5, and this went uh, to Bjorn Borg. Uh, Borg was able to ace um, ace 6%. And that's, so that was a number that I – or 8%, excuse me of his points. And so this is in contrast to 0%. So he had no aces in the first set. So he's really able to up his service service game. And he was able to, uh, his second serve points one didn't move that much. They were 47%. But his first serve in went up by almost uh, 6%, 5% here. And then first serve percent um, for John McEnroe was also pretty good. So yeah, it was a very tight set, obviously 7-5. But Borg, honestly just from the numbers was able to up his up his game on the serve was able to get more aces which right uh McEnroe was known to have a better serve but Born, Bjornborg was able to back his up a lot better and he won a very tight set there to to even it at one set apiece going into the third set um I didn't highlight any any numbers that stood out to me really um interesting that Borg again had more aces than McEnroe in this set um uh, their double faults looked pretty similar First serve in looked identical. Bjorn Borg was a little bit better on his first serve uh, points one at 71% to 64% for John McEnroe. And also with um, his second serve points one was 65% for, uh, 
for Borg and 62% for McEnroe about. And it's interesting because, yeah, Borg, I guess Borg also took that set. So, so again, the next two sets, you're just wondering, well, like I, I guess, I guess Borg, I guess Borg's going to close it out. I don't, I don't know if John McEnroe can do it, but the fourth set was, this was where this, the match got extremely thrilling. So this is one that was actually pushed to a tiebreaker. So we've seen that at Wimbledon many times before, right? Just like Federer, Djokovic just last year, right? They had three tiebreaks. Djokovic won them all, didn't have a single unforced error. The tiebreak's obviously pretty important at Wimbledon. This one went uh, 16 points is what it took to win that tiebreak. So pretty amazing that Borg uh, blew it, I guess, and McEnroe was able to come back. And this one, the numbers that stood out to me a lot, I, I highlighted 9%, uh, 9.3% ace count for for McEnroe. So of all his serves, 9% of them became an ace. That's a pretty high, high rate there. And Bjorn Borg was only at two. And, and John was able to, to up his second serve points one to 77% up from 62%. So that's a huge drastic change there. His first serve percentage went down some, but he's going for a lot more aces. So that's understandable. But yeah. And then another thing that's weird is his first serve points one was less than his second serve points one. So don't know much behind that. That's usually, yeah, usually opposite, especially on the fast surface there. But yeah, so John McEnroe was able to steal that fourth set, but he served extremely well. And then to the fifth set, which was 8-6, and that ultimately went to Bjorn Borg. So McEnroe ace count went up to 11%, so it went even better. But his double faults went up to 4.4%, so he was just going for broke on it, which led to a lot of aces, but led to the most double faults he'd had in the set. Uh, Borg, Borg's ace count also went up though to 6.5%. So not as good as the second set, but still pretty good. And then, like I mentioned earlier, 90.5% was Borg's first serve points, uh, points one and 90% of his second points one. So Bjorn Borg's serve just became untouchable somehow. Then <clears throat> he was able to win an eight, six. So still obviously John McEnroe had to play really well because he pushed it to eight, six, but Borg was not getting broken there based on based on those numbers. So just crazy how kind of a, a match teeter-totters. And I think we've seen that in many matches that especially go five sets, right? Thinking back to Wimbledon this last year, right? Federer was just, you know, beat they Novak and 6-1 in one of the sets. And then Novak come back and force a tight tiebreaker and then Novak would win the tiebreaker. So I think we see a lot of teeter-totter matches, but this one definitely made tennis history. So definitely watch highlights if you can, do it more justice. And again, I do recommend that Borg versus McEnroe movie. I thought it was pretty well done myself. But Matt, any comment on the numbers there that that we that we presented? No, I think that I, you covered it well. Yeah, nothing sweet. to add to that. Sweet. Okay, well, turn over to you. So I think you have some numbers for us, right? For a different throwback match. Sure do. So going back to two thousand one, U.S. Open, we had a quarterfinal match between Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi. These were like, you know, the Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal before Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal were on the scene type of deal. Uh, Pete Sampras was the the chip in charge. He would serve and follow his, his serve in, go to the net as much as he could. And Andre Agassi was an aggressive player with a super smart, super smart tennis player, um, but definitely more Rafa-esque in the way he played compared to Pete Sampras. Um, anyway, yeah, so this match went uh, four sets there were between the two nine break chances, but not a single one was converted. And every single 
every single set went to a tie break. Um, so obviously super close tie breaks always, always enter a, a lot more, not luck, but a lot more chance into it. Suddenly you have just seven points that you need mm -hmm. instead of a whole match or a whole set rather <clears throat> whole game. Um, but if you look at their stats, I mean, most of them are, are pretty similar. If you look at their first person, first serve percentage, Andre was at 65.3 and, uh, Sampras was at 62.5, relatively close. Sampras won, you know, 5% more of those first serves, uh, first serve points at 79% compared to uh, Agassi 75. Um, so it's super tight, super tight match. And obviously looking at these numbers, you would think, okay, well this probably, probably went to, to a bunch of tie breaks. And so, um, yeah, just a super close, super, you know, you have these two powerhouses that are really going at it and unable to really break into each other's games, taking each set to a tie break. So. Yeah. Yeah, pretty awesome. I know um, when they do U.S. Open coverage, sometimes if there's a rain delay or something, this is actually one of the matches of choice that they'll put up on the big screen. And I think for all the reasons you said, right, you know, there's nothing more exciting than a tiebreak to decide the set, even though, you know, I think it gets the, the crowd more into it. It's they're definitely each point is important. And like I said, there's some room for some chance. And even though it didn't go five sets, I think this is definitely one of the, one of the classic Agassi Sampras matches. And, you know, well, just like for you said, you know, they're like the Rafa and, and Roger of their day, as far as con contrasting styles, um, definitely huge rivals, definitely both winning, winning a decent amount of slams. So yeah, it's cool. To, it's cool to see a matches that, you know, these guys are this good and they actually keep it that close. Um, yeah. So well, another one of those tennis history, maybe. And uh, and who won that one? Was that uh, Sampras that won that? Oh, it was Sampras. Yep. He pulled okay. out. So Sampras was up 3 1. Uh, that's not right. He was up 3 1. And I think, uh, never mind. I take that back. Um, he was up two sets to one. Mm. And I, I think Agassi had the, had the lead or was, was was pushing in the fourth set and there's this, an article on the uh, the New York Times they pulled some of uh, some quotes from Sampras and he was just talking about how he knew he had to close it down that fourth set um, I guess Agassi is was a lot more focused on on fitness and training he knew that if he went to a fifth set Agassi would probably take it and so hmm. Interesting. Kind of interesting to see the mindset of, of Sampras there as they were getting down to the into the fourth set there to say, hey, I I gotta really push here and make sure I close it out, otherwise this is gonna get away from me. But right. Yeah, interesting. I think we've seen that before as well with, with some of these players as well. Like we're maybe Vavrinka is playing Djokovic and he has a chance to close them out. And he's like, I gotta close them out in four sets. And he he did it a couple times, right? At US Open in it. For Roland Garros, but worried about Djokovic, not only fitness, but just, you know, these, these great players can come back. They can find ways. So yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think that's all the the stats we had for you guys today. We, we do want to continue to, to cover past matches. I think some of the ones we want to talk about are uh, Federer Nadal's great Wimbledon battle 2008. And maybe we can also talk about the 2007 one where, where Nadal was also pretty close and uh, pushed it to five sets. Um, some other ones I'm thinking about maybe reliving Andy Murray's Wimbledon triumphs, he's had two, um, perhaps the Olympics. And I, I also do want to go back to Stamper Brinka and some of his 
Trent's kind of an unexpected player in this, this era of the big four. So, and then any others that Matt, Matt can think about as well, we can, we can cover those numbers and give you guys a dose of tennis while, while tennis is on hold still. But as always, please visit us at cognitionsphere.com and our theme music is brought to us by Kevin MacLeod with sex derps from his song, Cool Rock. And until next time, we'll see you on the court.